0: All right, well, you we'll know, just continue to um, be excited about our series that we are God's anointed, and so we've been kind of taking a journey through this um, of what that really means, and, and today, today I want to dig a bit more deeply. You know, we know that we're God's ambassadors. We talked about last week. Um, we're, ba- we're His ambassadors. We, we do things, everything we do, we do in His name. Um, but I want us now, you know. He says he said to us as we, we talked about last week, in the same way that the Father sent me, I too send you. I'm I'm send, I'm sending you. But when he said I'm sending you, he he said he was sending them to, collectively. Okay, mm-hmm. and we sometimes when we look at at the church, when we look at ourselves in the church, we tend to see it as an individual type of a thing. Uh, when, when God uh, you know, anoints individuals, and he does anoint individuals, but the individuals are a part of a collective. Uh, so I, I love that word collective. Lori came up with that for our, our monthly meetings because it's, the word collective is it, uh, many many things coming together as one all right and um, our anointing when we have been anointed to do the work of the gospel and to fulfill the great commission it wasn't meant for just individuals it wasn't an individual command it was a collective command uh it's made up of individuals but it's the commissioning of the church when he anointed the temple and all of the things within it he anointed each one of those individually but they collectively made uh made up the place for that for god to reside so it's this concept of being many but being one and so i want to dig into that a little bit more here today uh, if you've been a part of Waylife for any period of time, this is not a new thing for us. We've t- talked an awful lot about it, but, but I feel that it bears repeating, and we need to come back to understand what this really means to be m- many but one at the same time, because it's in the collective where God is going to accomplish his perfect pur- purposes, where he's going to uh, establish his kingdom. It's not in the individuals. It's in the collective, so let's first look at Ephesians chapter 2, 17 through 22. Ephesians chapter 2, 17 through 22. In his review, I am always reading from the Christian Standard Bible. It's a translation that I've been using here the last couple of years. And I actually really like because it's kind of a blend between... Um, a paraphrase and uh, an exact translation, literal translation. So like think it's really nice, readable blend. That's why I use it a lot. So it might read a little bit different from what you're used to. Ephesians 2.17 through 22. He says, He came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have accessed access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together for God's twel- dwelling in the spirit. The reason I love this scripture in context of we are God's anointed, we started off talking about the original tabernacle, right? As I mentioned, and it was anointed, all of the utensils and the altars, and even the, the, the priests that would serve within the temple, Receive that holy anointing, right? And the whole purpose of the temple is was that God would have a place to reside; His presence would would reside. And as as Israel was was traveling, uh, the Jews were traveling in the desert for forty years. The temple, which housed the presence of God, was in the middle of the camp. The entire camp was arranged, centered around, and pointing to. So as you you know get up in the morning and you look to the center of the camp there would be the pillar of fire by night and the cloud by day it was the and it would reside over the tabernacle that would be the center place so god has always wanted to to be the, at the center he want his presence at the center of his people so here we see And and of course, in the New Testament, I should say, first is that God calls us the temple. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. But you know what? We look at that scripture individually, right? We look at that personally, and and it's true. Wherever I go, I know that I have the, the Holy Spirit residing within me, and you have the Holy Spirit residing in you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the presence of God now travels with us. As, as Israel went around, but it wasn't, it's not held in a tent anymore. It's not held in a tabernacle or a temple once they became, came into the promised land in Jerusalem, right? And they built the temple. It's now that through the Holy Spirit, we become the temple. And we've all looked at that and we apply that as my, I am, my body is the temple, which is true. That's exactly what scripture says. But it doesn't apply just to the fact that, it, that the Holy Spirit re, re, um, uh, resides within you, but he resides within us, the collective. And that's what this is saying here. He's saying as fellow citizens, right? We're citizens of a, we're new people. We're citizens of a new country. We operate under a different government. He says, as fellow citizens and saints and members of God's household, right? Uh, Who are, you know, when you have citizenship within a group of people, you're recognized as one of them, okay? Now, citizenship is, you can either be born into it or you can come into it. Okay, now here he's, he was drawing the conclusion that there are those who were born into the citizenship of Israel, right? But then there were people who were grafted in the father of the (laughs) faith, the father of faith, Abraham, he was, he was, uh, the 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 father of many nations right he was the he was the father that eventually the Jews were born out of but he also but it's but what Jesus showed us it wasn't it wasn't a bloodline <laughs> as much it was a faith line mm-hmm. so so the Jews had the law and eventually out of the, the the bloodline came Jesus the Messiah which through him not only can the Jew be saved but the Gentile can be saved, right? So there's this mutual citizenship in this new government. All right, so but we, whether you're a Jew believing in Jesus or a Gentile believing in Jesus, come into one faith, one community, one body, one citizenship. We're members of one body, one household, built on the foundation of the apostles with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. He builds this thing. Jesus is is building this thing. In him, the whole buildings, remember the tabernacle was a structure. The temple was a structure. The whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you are being built together for God's dwelling in the spirit. He assembles us together for the spirit of God to reside within. When we are citizens of this, it's not just a matter of citizenship. It's a matter of the, the spirit of God dwelling within a people. Not within a person as much. Yes, within a person, within us each individually. But as a group, as a collective, he's to reside within. It We, emu, we now emulate the presence of God that hovered over the tabernacle with all of the Several million people, scholars estimate, encamped around it. The the tabernacle was to, to be a place for God to reside among his people. And that has not changed. As God's anointed, we now carry, collectively carry, the presence of God with us. Paul talks about if, um, in to the to the church in Philippi in Philippians chapter 127 Paul says just one thing as citizens of heaven live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ then whether I come and see you or I am absent I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit in one accord contending to together for the faith of the gospel. We, this citizenship that we carry is, as being one body, Paul here is talking about there's, there's a different, there, there needs to be a oneness about you. And he specifically says three things. He says one accord, sorry, one spirit, one accord, and contending together. You think about that. So we're of one spirit. We're of, of the Holy Spirit. That's, you know, the presence, the presence of the... We're standing firm in one spirit. The, the, thing that, the thing that the Spirit of God is doing and saying, we all get on board with it, right? So by the way, let's draw, let's draw a similar uh, parallel to the Old Testament. When they wandered in the desert for 40 years, they weren't just wandering about, wherever Israel decided to go. No, it wasn't that at all. They followed this movement of the presence of God. So when the Bible says that when the the cloud by day and the pillar by night, the glory of God began to move, they followed it. And so he would move from here to maybe a mile over this way, for instance, or he'd go three miles that way, for instance. They would stay there for maybe a few days, maybe a few months, maybe a few years. We don't know, the Bible doesn't give us the description of that, but what it does tell us is that when the presence of God moved, the people moved with it. And here he's saying for us to stand firm in one spirit. As the spirit of God moves, we too move the same way, collectively, right? So he says of one spirit and in one accord, right? We're all moving in the same direction. We're, we're moving with the same purpose. Can you imagine if the, if the Spirit of God starts moving north and some people start moving south? Well, it's time to move, so we're moving, but we're going in different directions. That's chaos. That's division. That's all those things. We move likewise. We move in one accord. We move coordinated. Amen. Right? And then he says, contending together for the faith. Of the gospel contending together working together warring together struggling together working it out together right for the faith of the gospel as citizens as one who is anointed as part of the collective we have to work on being in one spirit one accord and contend together now this concept is he, he continues on and in uh, many different places, but why is this, and we're gonna get to it, Paul has a lot more to say about this concept of being individuals, but being one, and we're gonna get into that. But first, why is this so absolutely important? I love the fact that the Gospel of John spends an awful lot of time from, he gives a lot of description of, of the, the, you know, that time period from the Last Supper to the Garden of Gethsemane. Mm-hmm. Because Jesus shared and prayed a lot of things. He gives a very descriptive explanation of when he washed the disciples' feet and all of these things. But Jesus prayed a prayer um, with them and John gives this great detailed explanation of that. And if you notice, I think it's John 17. It is John 17. But if if you look at John 17, there's a theme or a flavor of his prayer because he prays for himself, he prays prays for the disciples, he prays for future disciples. And the flavor of it is this, oneness, Mm -hmm. unity. So it's really important that Jesus, that we notice that Jesus did and said and taught all of these things for his life, but these were the final words, the final prayer that we have recorded before he goes to the cross. He's betrayed and he goes to the cross. And one of the things that he says in there is in John 17, 21, 21 through 23. Listen to his language here. As he's praying, he says, Jesus says, May they all be one as you father are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory that that you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me so that they may be completely one, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me." Talk about repetition. He says it over and over. He says three times to make them one, but specifically as he and the Father are one. And we and them and he and us and everything. There's this this incredible intentionality that he has in his prayer about this, this abiding connectedness between he and the father and us in in him and in one another. But there's other two, there's two other things in here that we can that we can miss because he repeats this one other thing twice. He says, may they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. Mm -hmm. And then again, he says, may they be completely one that the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you love me. The proof to the world that Jesus is God and was sent by God is the oneness of the church. It's the unity of the church. Now just for a moment take 10 seconds. Think about the church at large mm-hmm. across the world. Unified or divided? Mm-hmm. Divided. divided? Divided. Hands down divided. Absolutely divided. We are at we have so much internal conflict mm-hmm. in the body of Christ. Now ask yourself this question, does that help or hurt our reputation of who God is? It hurts it, absolutely hurts it. How many people (laughs) want nothing to do with the church because they look at the church and say, I see nothing but hypocrisy. I see nothing but, you know, they say one thing, they do something else and, and they don't even agree with each other, right? And you know, by the way, we can feel okay, not feel okay about it, but we we can feel um, a little bit of comfort that that existed all the way back in the early church. And Paul dealt with that all the time. In fact, when he talked to the church in Corinth, he goes, why is there division among you? We're gonna get into that. Why is there division among you? He says, some of you guys are saying that I'm of Apollos, and I'm of Peter, or I'm of Christ, or I'm of this, I'm of that. He goes, is Christ divided? Right. So it's the same problem that we're having today as we had all the way back then. So I'm, I am I'm, I believe that God will absolutely have his way and he will he will he will he will know how to unify his church. I, I believe and I think he'll unify his church probably in ways that will surprise us. But I think he's going to he is he is absolutely faithful to be able to bring his true church, not everybody who just simply calls himself a Christian or goes to a church, but his true, the true body of Christ, he will unify. And I would say the true body of Christ is far more unified than the church at large that names itself as the church. But it's so important for God, it's so important for him that he prayed so, uh, so vehemently about the fact that we need to be one and that he in the same way that he Jesus and the father are one but the devil absolutely wants to divide us he wants to tear us apart right he wants he is called the devil means accusation the word devil or satan means accusation he's the he's the accuser of the brethren um, and he want that's, that's in his nature. That's what he does. He can't, he can't ever not be that. And when we see accusation and division happening within the body of Christ, you know who's behind it, 100% of the time. 1 Corinthians, as I mentioned before, chapter one, uh, verse 10, 1 Corinthians 1.10 says, now I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree in what you say, that there be no divisions among you, and that you be united with the same understanding and the same conviction. I mean, this makes complete sense, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. If you think about a government, if if you think about citizens of a government, they all abide by certain standards. Mm -hmm. There are laws, there's laws. There's cultures. There's there's cultural. Uh, some of those laws are written. Some of them are implied. Some are just kind of learned as being a part of it, right? It's like a family code, a family culture. What might be acceptable in your house might not be acceptable in my house, or vice versa, right? There's 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 uh, there's there's cultures and things, but but the citizens of that. Begin, begin to they they're, they're united in those things. And when somebody steps outside of those standards, there's implications for. It. If they're breaking the rules and breaking the laws, there's a punishment. They could be arrested for those things, right? If people are standing outside of the cultural norms, they might be excommunicated, if you will, right? They they they're not going to be included in in that group. And we see that in our culture, even, even in the United States, I mean, we have crazy things happening all the time, right? But what do we do? We highlight those crazy things, crazy things and says, that's not normal, that's not us, okay? And every government is like that. So Paul here is talking about, as a co- collective group of citizens in a singular holy government, holy nation, he says, you should agree in what you say. There should be agreement among you. There shouldn't be divisions among you. It's abnormal, it's not right. If there's a division going on, something is seriously wrong. And we need to, to take inventory of what's happening. The expectation in the early church was unification. In fact, we, we've seen that, we talked about this before, is in, in Acts chapter two, after Pentecost, the very first thing that you see is it says that everybody had everything in common. They were selling property, they were giving, throwing that money in uh, because they, they wanted everyone to, 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 to not have need, everyone to be taken care of. And they said they were disciplined and diligent about going from house to house, And to the temple, they were uh, devoted themselves to the the scriptures, the teaching, uh, and the teachings of the apostles, to breaking of bread, to the prayers, and to the fellowship. They collectively devoted themselves to those things, right? So you see this unity, an uncommon unity, among the brothers and sisters, and that's why that they were adding three thousand people a day. That's why they were seeing that obviously this was not normal. In, in society. So they said, God obviously must be among them. Mm-hmm. And when they heard that gospel and they saw how they were treating one another, right? You really wanna do a, a, a study, just, just study John. John uh, the apostle had absolute, had absolute re- revelation on the love that, that, that Jesus has for the body and that the body has for Jesus. Right and should and and should have for one another in an absolute revelation of that. It's, it's at the core of what we do. It's part of our, It should be a part of our culture, in the body of Christ. Okay, all right. So let's now uh, jump to. Let's jump to Romans chapter twelve. So I, told, I alluded to this. This idea of being many parts. Many individuals, but one collective body. I want to dig now a little bit more deeply into this, this coming together as unity. And I think for us to have unity, we have to understand the dynamics of how God intended for this unity to happen, right? So if we go to Romans chapter 12, verse three through eight, Paul says this, for by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you, do not think of himself more highly than he should think. You should probably read that one again. I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now, as we have many parts in the body and all of the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. According to the grace uh, uh, given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the proportion of one's faith, if service, use it in service, and teaching, and teaching. If exhorting and exhortation, giving with generosity, leading with diligence, showing mercy with cheerfulness. Okay, so he introduces to us this idea of having many parts that the body of Christ is just that. It's a body. It's the the body of Christ. We are now the function and the purpose and the call of Jesus. We execute that on this earth now as Jesus did when he walked the earth. Jesus is the head. He's the leader, he's the director, we are the body. But the body has many different parts, right? And Paul's talking about it. I love this illustration because he's, he's so masterful in the way that he describes this. I mean, just think about it you know, for a moment, look at your body, right? And you think about all of the pieces and the parts. You've got your fingers, and you've got your knees, and you've got your, your toes, and you've got even down to like your toenails, your hair follicles, your teeth, your eyes, your eyelashes, your ears. Every one of them has an absolute purpose, right? That's just the stuff on the outside. Then what about all the stuff on the inside, right? And there's all of those features and those functions. Just the eyes, right? The eyes are so complex. You know how many parts there are to the eye? right, between the lens and the retina and this and that and how complex it is? I don't, know. I don't know the answer to that question, by the way, but I know it's a lot, right? There's a lot to it. It's complicated, right? And that makes the function of the eye work properly. And there's so many pieces in the parts and they're so vitally important. If one of those things don't work in your eyeball, the entire eyeball is gonna have trouble, right? And roll that all the way up. If one part of your body has problems, if, if it's not healthy, the entire body is affected, okay? So he's saying, yes, I, we're, we're all individuals, but all the individual makes up one, okay? So which is more important? It's kind of a trick question. They're both equally important, right? Because if one, the individual isn't functioning properly, the whole body suffers, so that one is highly important. But then, at the same time, the whole body is not functioning properly, so it's never gonna fully accomplish the things that God has intended it to do, right? So that's why he starts off, I'm telling you, don't think too highly of yourself. I swear I'm gonna write a book, says it's not about you. It's not about, the, the, the walk with Jesus is actually not uniquely about you. It's about the collective. It's about the greater body. He came to anoint his church, church made up of individuals, but he's anointing the whole thing because the collective presence of God is in each one of us, right? It's not on any one individual person. One is not elevated more than the other. We all receive a portion, a measure of the spirit, the full spirit that raised Jesus from the dead resides in each one of you in the same measure. We're all a part of this body, but we don't all have the same function. We all have different gifts and, and abilities and purposes. The plurality, the, 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 the difference between those things is something that we need to celebrate, not something that we suppress. And the body of Christ needs to, the better the body of Christ ex- understands and accepts, the multitude of gifts, spiritual gifts, and talents and abilities that God puts in people, the better it's going to be able to function efficiently. Okay, I mean, God created the body of Christ with so many different parts and so many abilities. How many people live their lives and never fully accomplish all that they're able to do that their bodies literally, can, and, and their mental capacity has the ability to achieve. So many people don't do it, right? So many of us live sick, we live, we live, um, we live um, uh, with with some sort of, 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 a, of a handicap, or even in the potential of what the body can do, you have some people that just sort of waste their lives. And we have other people that just, you know, accomplish incredible amounts. What's the difference? Well, they both have the same capacity. They both have the same ability, right? It's just one is utilizing more than the other. One understands more of what's possible more than the other. We need to understand that the plurality of of the body of Christ gives us incredible potential. But collectively, not individually. The individual can only go so far. The collective, the whole body, unstoppable. Unstoppable. So he goes on here. Let's go to now let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And this is the last scripture, but it's a big chunk of scripture. We all have, have known this scripture. We've read it a lot here. we've studied it a lot here First Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to start with uh, verse 12 and we're going to go to the end of the chapter so a big chunk here but this the this idea of of many parts but but one body now Paul's talking to the church in Corinth he goes very deep First Corinthians chapter 12 verse verse 12 all the way to the end says this for just as the body is one and has many parts and all the parts of that body, though many are one body. So also is Christ. So he said exactly the same thing we just got talking about in Romans chapter 12, for we were all baptized into how many spirits, one spirit, one, We were all baptized into one spirit, into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were all given one spirit to drink. Indeed, the body is not one part, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. It is not for that reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? As it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted. Say that. He wanted. Yeah. <laughs> And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that are weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we consider less honorable, we clothe these with greater honor and our Unrespectable parts are treated with greater respect, which our respectable parts do not need. Instead, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable, so that there would be no division in the body, but that the members would have the same concern for each other. So if one member suffers, all of the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, next miracles, and then gifts of healing, helping, leading, various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, Are all teachers? Do all do miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But desire together, excuse me, but desire the greater gifts and I will show you an even better way. Wow. Wow. The church needs to get a great, a greater revelation of the power of the fully functioning body of Christ, utilizing and honoring all its parts, all of its members. We have done, we, who's we? The clergy, the, the ones that went to Bible school, seminary, that got the piece of paper and goes up on the stage, the one on the pulpit, right? We collectively have done a monumental disservice to the body of Christ. We, this concept of clergy and laity is a plague in the church today. It's a plague. Now, do we need pastors? Yes. Do we need evangelists? Yes. Do we need all those things? Do we need people? Do we need pulpits? At times, yes. Do we need those kinds, do we need people to stand up and to deliver a message to the body of Christ with authority, power, and um, uh, an opportunity? Absolutely. There are times for that. But there is not a division between the ones on the stage and the ones in the, in the pews. We have the same Holy Spirit. We're all Knitted and fashioned and placed where we need to be, but the problem that we've had—and I'm not t- talking about every person that's a pastor or sitting in a pulpit, right? I've got, I'm ordained. I've, <laughs> you know, I've got the certificate right? saying that I'm the pastor of Waylife Community Church, right? But if I, if, if I. S- if, if if I took that position of I'm the pastor, so I'm the authority. I'm the one that is going to do all of the prayers and all of the healings, and I'm the anointed one. What is that going to do to everyone else? You're just going to sit back and let me do it. You say, well, I'm not that. I'm, I'm I don't have the capacity to do those things, and that's not true. That's right. It's not true at all. We're all called into the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which he, we skipped over them in this, in this reading, but just a little bit further up in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it goes through all these gifts. We're all called to those things, not just the clergy. We all have different positions and roles, yes, but we have all individual parts to contribute into this. And we cannot elevate one over the other. And that's exactly what Paul is saying here. There are some, some yes, that have more airtime, right? They're the ones that are gonna to teach more, and th- those kinds of things, they're receiving that honor now, but we give greater, so to balance that out, we, those who are, you know, a little bit more prevalent in the ministry, uh, we give greater honor to those who go less seen, the ones that are absolutely doing the work behind the scenes and interceding in their prayer closets, you know, for hours on end, and all of those things, there's, all of it is, is necessary, We we collectively carry the presence of the Holy Spirit, the presence of God. We are all anointed if somebody doesn't do their job and we, we actually hinder the effectiveness of the body of Christ. We all carry that anointing. And this is the thing that Paul I believe really had terrific revelation of and there isn't because if we start if we start thinking too much of ourselves like he talked about in romans chapter 12 right and say look look uh let's say i'm one that prophesies right prophecy that's that's really important we need more profit we need prophecy prophecy in the church prophecy in the church yes we need that right but we also need teaching in the church and say, and, the, and so the teacher is saying, no, 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 we need, we need teaching in the church. Te- teaching is is the more more important thing. And and then the, the evangelist over there is going to say, no, 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 uh, we need, we are not on the streets enough. We're not out there evangelizing enough, and all those kinds of things, right? So what do they do? The prophet's going to the teacher. I don't really need you. I just need to. I mean, i I've got the word of the Lord. What else do we need, right? The teacher saying, yeah, but I've got the doctrines and the truths of God uh, that's going to keep the prophet balanced, right? Because you guys. Or, you know, kind of get out in the ether somewhere. And we don't understand what you're saying half the time, the truth of the God and the evangelist says, Yeah, but none of that matters if we're not reaching the lost, right. And so there's divisions among us, isn't there? So you see that there, it's almost like a checks in the balances, right? Okay, and then you got the shepherds saying, look, all you guys got to go away because I just have to protect the flock here. I got to keep everybody safe and make sure everybody's is growing in the Lord and right. Mm -hmm. And the apostles are going, I wish you all would just do your job so I can go start something new somewhere else. (laughs) Right. So we have all these things. Right. And so but they aren't we argue. Number one. We we don't even realize that we have all of those gifts in the in the body of Christ. Most of them are sitting there, laying dormant. Number two, we highlight them that holy clergy laity divide thing I was talking about before. Like, I just named, by the way, the fivefold ministry that's that's found in Ephesians, right? The fivefold ministry of the the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the and teacher. We can't ima- We can't expect the per person who's sitting in the pulpit to do all that. Nobody has all five. That's right. We might have aspects or a little bit of all five, but we're not gonna be good at all. The only one that had all five in their fullness was Jesus. Right. So it takes the entire body of Christ in order to mm-hmm. fulfill the fivefold ministry. Whether you have, you know, Ordained or minister after your name or not doesn't matter. You're all ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We all have the great commission, and the great commission, the going out, is not just evangel- evangelistic, right. right? So the evan- you know, the, the the ones that are the evangelists would be like, oh yeah, that's it, right? And the rest of them are like, well, I guess we'll just send the evangelists. That's going into all the world. No, it's it's taking the fivefold ministry into the world. It's all aspects of the body of Christ. It's not just about evangelism, okay? Making disciples is not just getting people saved. It takes everything. It takes all of the fivefold ministry to move. So it takes all of us, and this clergy laity thing has really hindered uh, hindered the body of Christ because we don't see ourselves as the anointed. We don't see ourselves as uh, operating within Jesus' name, we, we tend to say, well, that's the, that's the one on the stage, right? So to, for me to have my life sold out to Jesus, this is the mentality I think a lot of people have, to commit my life to Jesus entirely means I have to be a minister mm-hmm. that looks like that. Mm-hmm. And that's not true at all. That's right. You're a minister of Jesus Christ when you're working the counters at your job, mm-hmm. right? Or you're sitting behind a desk you're a minister with, if, you're, if you're out as an evangelist uh, or you know, reaching people overseas as a missionary. You're a minister when you're leading worship. You're a minister when you're just quietly interceding in your prayer closet for the needs of your family and for, for God's power to be unlocked in the body of Christ and in different parts of the world, right? It's all necessary. They're all the functions of the body. Body is unbelievably complex, the physical body, unbelievably complex. I mean, doctors scientists have just scratched the surface. as much as we know, we've only scratched the surface of its of its it's and it's almost as if like, even if they fully kind of understand all the pieces of the parts, they still don't know how it really works. There's a mystery to it. But see, that's Christ. He's he's that mystery. And in taking this, what feels like a mess of people (laughs) that have all kinds of baggage and things and working through and, you know, God's still working on each one of us. He takes this lovely bunch of bananas and he mysteriously works through it all. It's a powerful thing. That's the that's the spirit. That's the the force. It's it's the blood. It's the blood that fuels and brings all that the body needs through the, the entire body. Life is in the blood. Is it interesting that Jesus had to shed his blood to bring life to the body, the collective church? It is the responsibility of each one of us to do our part for the success of the greater body of Christ. I wanna end with just this concept. And I've said this before at Waylife, I'll probably say it 10 more times in the future is that we need to get into our spirits the idea that it's not just about us having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. It's about us having a corporate relationship with Jesus Christ. Corporate relationship with Jesus Christ. We approach our relationship and we approach the church absolutely selfishly. Absolutely selfishly. We think that all that is necessary is for us to have a relationship with God and we're good and we find our place and we might be at this church for a while, might be at that church, one, but as long as I'm good with Jesus, we're okay. That's not true. That's so why I don't, by the way, for everybody here, I know we don't have this problem here, but anybody might be listening. If you're church hopping, you're disconnected. You need to be plugged in to a family, a function. Remember, the eye, just the eye, the ability to see is made up of a lot of parts. Right? So if you need if you're called to a church that's an eye, you have a part to play in the function of that eye. So you're not, you can't, if you're an eye, a part of an eye, and you go try to hang out in the liver, it's not gonna work. You're not gonna fit, right? So you need to find the place where you're supposed to function. If you're an eye church, if you're an elbow church, and say, well, I've, I'm, I'm some good cartilage here, then you gotta get yourself into a joint church of some sort, like an elbow or a shoulder or a knee, right? Don't, get, don't go and hang out in the kidneys. You're just gonna cause problems. If, if, you go to a kidney, if you go to a kidney church, it's not gonna work, right? If you're a function of the heart, if you're a fun, your function of the heart, that's really good. But, you know, stay out of the nose. So if church hoppers, <laughs> and I, I'm not saying it's all your fault, right? But church hopping sometimes is we, we, keep, we haven't been able to find place. the place that our gifts are, are really called into. Um, and that can be can be used. But sometimes we just choose to stay disconnected Mm -hmm. because we don't want to do the work, right? Because committing yourself means committing yourself. Mm -hmm. When you have offenses, when you have struggles, it's willing to work it out instead of saying, ah, I'm out of here. Mm -hmm. I have no need of thee, (laughs) right? Those people are all eyes and I'm an ear, so I have no need for them. That's what Paul was saying. We have to be thinking about context. We ask the question, God, what do you want me to do in my life? What is your will for my life? How many of us asked that question before? What is your will for my life? Sure, it's a good question, but if it only we approach the question only from that perspective, we are limiting how God can use us. And and what I mean by that is because we're only looking at ourselves and we're not looking at the body of Christ. We're not looking at the bigger picture. The better question is, God, what is your will for my family? God, what is your will for my family in my church? God, what is your will for the church in this region? God, what is this region's, what's your will for this region in the state? Mm -hmm. You can take it on from there. The better you understand the will of God in what he's doing in the larger picture, the more you'll understand what he wants you to do in it Mm -hmm. and why it makes sense. So let's bring this way down. God, what's your will for my life? How about God, what is your will for me to serve in our congregation, in our in our church family? Better yet, God, what's what's our what do you want our church to accomplish? And how can I be a part of that? What's my role in that? Mm-hmm. Do you see that? Mm-hmm. It's the It's the layers of context. Most of us don't think even one step above ourselves when we're trying to understand the will of the Lord. And I would imagine that we need to go much even further than that, but we'll start with that. We need to be thinking about that above. Well, to think about that above means you don't think too highly of yourself. You're thinking about the greater body. It's not for me to be blessed in God so I have a nice life. It's for me to be blessed in God so the rest of the body of Christ can be blessed. Mm -hmm. What's your motivation? Mm -hmm. The church in the West has a problem with spiritual selfishness. Mm -hmm. We have a consumer mentality. We go to a church because they have a good youth program or they have a good kids program or they have a good a good uh, missions program or they whatever's important to you. They have a good thing or I really like the preacher or I li- really like this. And that's the reason that we go to a church. If that's the reason that we're a part of that church, our motivation is absolutely wrong because our motivation must be the church must move the kingdom of God forward. And I am going to do what it takes to move that, to fulfill that and to move the kingdom of God forward with or without a kids program, with or without dynamic worship, with or without, because I'm going to see this thing move forward. If I hear one more time, I, I, yeah, I, I go to the church over there because they have, they have a kids program and it's really important to me to have a kids program. I'm like, kids program, they're fine, they're fine, they're fine, I, I, I get that, but your motivation is miss, it's missing something. And that is the advancement of the kingdom and that you have a part to play. And sometimes God, I'm sorry, is going to put you in a place where you don't have a good children's program. He's going to put you in a place where you're not very comfortable and it's not fulfilling your selfish desires. Because it's not about you. It's about the body of Christ collective accomplishing the purposes of God. We have got to stop being so selfish. It's not about us. When we get together in our meetings, whether it's a little meeting like this, we've got you know eight or ten people, or we have a hundred people. It's not about us. We have got to come and saying, I am coming to bless my brothers and sisters. I am going to do the best job that I can do with the gifts that God has given me. And I'm gonna receive the, the gift from the gifts that he has given them that I don't receive. And we are gonna nurture one another. We are gonna move things forward and God is gonna be glorified. And I am not, I'm gonna stop coming to these meetings saying, all right, pastor, what do you got for me today? That is the truth, and that is what we are missing in the body of Christ today. There is no no sideline for one Christian. There's none, we're all in the game. It's the only game in the world that the the team just keeps growing. Every new player that they bring into the team, the team just gets that much bigger and they're all on the field. Quit sitting on the bench. Amen. Amen. There's no sidelines. We're all in the game. Invest, 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 invest in the body. That's why the the Bible's clear. It says, do good to all, but especially those of the household of faith. If you do well to them, the whole body will grow. The whole body will be blessed. And the whole body is blessed. It will be more useful and functioning in God's kingdom. The potential goes way up. Now the body is no longer operating with a limp or with a handicap. Amen. It's fully strong, it's exercise, it's healthy, it's moving forward, it's able to accomplish more. That's why it was so important that Jesus said, Lord, Father, make them one. As you and I are one. That is perfect unity. Mm-hmm. And if Jesus was praying for it, that means it's achievable. It must be possible. It's achievable. It is my vision at the very least that we achieve it that way life. Amen. Mm-hmm. Amen. Whether it's we're a small group or we're a giant group, we need to achieve it. If we're healthy, souls will be saved, people will be delivered, God's kingdom will expand, and Jesus will receive more reward for his sacrifice. That's our motivation, and it has nothing to do with us individually and our personal walk with Jesus Christ, but it's made up with your personal walk with Jesus Christ. We need a collective walk with Jesus Christ. A collective relationship with Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen? God, make us one. God, make us one as Jesus and the Father are one. Lord, there has been division, there has been struggle. There has been the divider looking to come and tear down. Lord, there is nothing that we cannot overcome if we're united. But if we're divided, I mean, we can't get over a stub toe. He will rip us apart. Why? Because we're divided. It doesn't take much to tear us down. So Lord, help us to be unified. Help us, your anointed, to carry your presence and to accomplish your purposes, we pray. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen.